On the previous installment of Nether, Ascension, Nether returned home to Brex to find the city in a much worse state than before he left. Filth had filled the streets with Despondia continuing to invade the once fertile land. The family estate was not much better, with his family refusing to extend a pleasant welcome. Once he finally met with his father, Tuberic's grand scheme came to fruition. He confessed that Nether was sent away to sway his uncle to leave him his estate, so that the Mertralis family could become more powerful at the expense of the Varence. Now with the documents forged, Tuberic was now the executor of Demeric's estate, and Nether was simply a loose end, needing to be cut away. Upon the orders of his father, Nether was captured, with his father commanding his soldiers to execute him. By Gods and Kings takes place in the world of Dunai and is based on the Tabletop RPG. For more information on the Tabletop RPG, or for more information on the world of Dunai, please visit our website, www.bygodsandkings.com. Chapter 6 As I Wait for Death The sun went down in the west and the moons were shining overhead. The beams from the celestial bodies were coming in through the windows in the barn as I waited as patiently as could be expected for the cold embrace of death. The chill of the night air was uncomfortable, though the sounds of the soldiers outside the barn having a conversation amongst themselves was even worse. Knowing that my executioners were having a jovial time was not comforting at all. It was actually quite revolting. Let's wait until midnight to kill the wretched creature, shouted one of the men outside the barn. So long as he's dead by sunup, I don't think the master will have much of a problem. Yeah, but why midnight? asked another of the men outside. Because I'm a sucker for ceremony, replied the first man. Hearing the two men banter with one another about when they should end my life turned my stomach. I wish they would have already gotten it over with. Death would have been welcome to listening to those buffoons any longer. With the men outside keeping themselves entertained, all I was left to do was think about what was in store for me and listen to the field mice rustle about in the straw. The barn wasn't a place for animals, but more of a place to store things that my father took in but could not sell. I wondered what the halls of Vesia would look like and how long I'd be there before being sent off to be devoured. I had no use to any of the gods. I never affiliated my allegiance to one. It didn't matter how you worshipped. You were all to be devoured eventually anyway. Hey, you there, whispered a voice from behind my cage. What are you doing in that cage? I glanced over my shoulder to see a young boy emerging from the shadows. I noticed him earlier in the streets of Brex, but I didn't think much of him, except that he was somewhat dirty and perhaps malnourished. He had hair as black as the night sky and his face was pale and covered with dirt. The young boy approached the cage cautiously, yet with an air of curiosity about him. He wrapped his hands around the bars and examined me in my distraught condition. Wow, this is most unfortunate for you. I chuckled at the levity that this young boy brought. It really is, isn't it? It is, especially because of those men outside talking about killing you, he said earnestly with his hands remaining on the bars and a smile on his face. Have you tried to break free? I remained still for a moment and thought about it. While the cage wasn't terribly well constructed, Making it out of it would probably prove to be problematic on two fronts. The first would be the amount of noise that it would make. The soldiers would be alerted to my plight and I would be killed on the spot. The second is that I didn't know how it was constructed and it was too dark to see anything. The thought crossed my mind, but I simply haven't found the best way yet, I said defensively, though still trying to come off as calm to the young man before me. The lad kept his eyes on the bars ahead of him and on me within them. He turned his hand slowly and smiled. Have you thought about just walking out the door? He asked playfully. Surely they locked it, right? I hadn't thought about the door, but I also didn't want to prove to be a fool. Surely they locked it, I said softly. They're not that foolish. Are you sure? Asked the young man as he took his hands off the cage. He stepped around the bars and over to the front, swiping his fingers along each iron bar he passed. 
I watched the young man move around the cage and my curiosity was getting the best of me. I lunged forward toward the door and pressed on it, only for my fears to be confirmed. It was locked solid. Huh, of course it's locked, silly. Why wouldn't they with you in there? You're far more dangerous than any of them. I folded my arms across my chest in disgust as I listened to the little bastard taunt me outside the cage. I felt like a caged animal in a zoo. I wanted to lash out and strike the child, but I couldn't, simply because I was confined within the iron bars. I suppose they did take the proper precautions. I seethed before turning back toward the young boy, only to find that he had disappeared. I'm not waiting, shouted a man as he entered the barn. I'm ready to go to bed, and I'm going to end this now. He screamed out toward his comrades as they all stayed put beside a large fire, drinking the night away with whatever my father had delivered and couldn't sell. I took a step back in my cage and examined the man as he hulked forward. He was large and brooding with a massive axe on his back with a handle just above his left ass cheek. The axe wiggled slightly, appearing to be loose in its harness which gave me my first opening. Come on, you wretch. This night ends for you here, he screamed as he flung open the door of my cage. He reached in and grabbed me by the collar of my shirt, tossing me out of the cage and onto the dusty ground. I fell forward, but as I was in the air, I reached back and slapped the handle of the axe as hard as I could. The large handle shook free and the blade fell from his back and slammed against the dirt floor with a thud. I landed on my stomach and rolled over to watch the large, brooding man turn around to grab his axe off the ground. He held his feet firmly on the floor as he bent over at the waist to pick up the axe. There it is, I said as I lunged forward and crawled toward the man. I grabbed the back of the handle from beneath his legs and pulled the axe. I held onto the handle firmly as I pulled it through his legs. I rose to my feet as he spun around, only long enough to find the blade slicing against his jugular. The blade was sharp and in one swing went clean through his throat and neck, lopping his head off onto the ground. I spun back around to examine the door, wondering if any of the men outside heard me. I paused momentarily as I gripped the handle of the axe and stared at the door, but no one entered. The jubilation outside was too much for the sound of the head rolling off of someone's shoulders to be heard. Now what? I asked as I glanced back at the body of the fallen soldier. I lowered the axe and examined the rest of the barn. Ropes and chains hung from the ceiling and shelves lined the walls. Three stables were positioned on the far side of the room that were empty and full of dust. I took a breath of the cool air and stepped over to the headless soldier. I grabbed him by the ankle and drug him out of the way and over into one of the stables. With his body dealt with, I approached his head and grabbed it by his long, greasy hair. I held it up, examining the open eyes as they stared back at me with their lifeless gaze. I hope that kid made it out of here, friend, else he is going to end up on the wrong end of this, I said referring to the young boy that was taunting me outside of my cage. I swung the head lightly in the air before heaving it out of the barn and into the crowd of soldiers. I stepped over to the shadows, off in the corner of the barn, as the head rolled out of the barn and into the crowd. Ah! screamed one of the soldiers as he watched the head roll into their camp. He fell backwards off of his seat as the head came to a stop in front of the fire. The soldier rose to his knees and reached for the sword on his side as he couldn't take his eyes off of the gaze from the soldier. Come on, shouted another soldier carrying a massive two-handed sword. He gripped it firmly in his hands and charged into the barn with the other two soldiers still taken aback by the rolling head. The third soldier exhaled and ran in with his daggers drawn, much smaller weapons that I would have preferred to have been using from the beginning. The final one sat outside for a few moments, but he would be dealt with eventually. The soldier with the massive greatsword entered the barn and scanned the area, his eyes affixed on my cage where he found it empty. No, he muttered. Where is that bastard? I wonder if he tried to escape out into the swamp, asked the third soldier with the daggers. He's as good as dead out there just from the creatures that roam within Despontia. Or he's still here, friend, 
I can smell him, stated the first soldier as he lowered his greatsword. He drugged the tip of the blade across the dirt floor as the other man fiddled with his daggers. I looked on from the shadows and watched the two soldiers. The second soldier appeared far more nervous than the overly confident first one. Head over to the stables. I'm going to check the area behind his cage, announced the first soldier. The third soldier gulped loud and sighed. Are you sure we should split up? Of course, shouted the first as he picked his sword up and rested it against his shoulder. We're both armed and angry. He won't stand a chance. Right, replied the other soldier as he watched the first travel to the area behind my cage. I ducked down in the shadows and lowered the axe to the ground. My uncle trained me for moments like this and I relished the opportunity to show off. I began to breathe much shallower as I squatted down in the corner. I kept my eyes open and I looked through a crease in between a few crates. I could see the nervous soldier holding on to the handle of his daggers tightly. His knuckles were turning white as he gripped the handles far greater than he should have. The soldier lurched slowly past the crates with my eyes locked on him. I remained crouched down so that I could spring up when I needed to. I waited for the perfect opportunity, holding perfectly still as he moved along slowly. Against my right shoe was a small stone. I reached down and grabbed it with my right hand and tossed it out from behind the crates and out of the shadows making contact with the wall by a few more crates. The soldier shifted his attention over to them and turned his body, giving me the perfect opportunity to spring out of the shadows. I lunged forward slightly with my left hand on top of the axe and my right just below the blade. I wanted to drive the blade directly into his flesh without him realizing it. I traveled through the air quickly and pierced his skull, pushing the blade as hard as I could into his head as he collapsed onto the dusty floor. I landed on top of him and kept pushing the blade into his skull, waiting for him to stop twitching and meet with the goddess of law. I glanced up to see if the other man in the barn took notice of the fall, but he was too enamored with what was going on behind the cage. While still on top of the soldier, I watched from the darkness as the first soldier inspected the cage. He held onto his large greatsword with his right hand as he touched each bar with his left. I assumed he was more curious with how I escaped rather than whether or not I was preparing to kill him. I left the blade of the axe and the soldier beneath me. I preferred what was still clutched in both of his hands. I grabbed the daggers and held them lightly in my hand, wrapping my hands around them but not gripping them as intensely as the fallen soldier. Daggers are meant to be quick and agile, not bulky and stalwart. The floor was dusty and the moons had shifted in the sky. The shadows in the barn had increased, and I was now ready to prowl after the next soldier. I crawled slowly toward the cage while staying close to the stables, the shadows providing me with an ample amount of darkness for me to move unnoticed. I kept watching the soldier trudge around the cage, clambering about with his boots as he stomped around. If he was trying to be stealthy, he was remarkably awful at it. I stayed low to the ground as I held onto the daggers and crawled across the floor. I moved along the dusty ground with my belly sliding against it, keeping my eyes affixed onto my target. I slowed down my breathing so that he couldn't hear me, and once I was behind him, I drove both daggers into each of his Achilles tendons. The large, hulking man collapsed onto the floor with a loud scream. I removed the daggers and leapt onto his back. Once positioned, I drove both daggers into the back of his skull. I needed him to stop screaming. The final man was still outside and he had yet to enter, but now he would know that I was in here. Blood pooled around the body of the soldier as I sat perfectly still on him, hoping that the shadows would conceal me long enough to escape if the final soldier barged in. He did not. I gazed out the door to see the soldier still sitting in front of the fire holding the head of the first soldier that I had killed. I rose to my feet and stepped forward with the dagger still in my hand. 
Three of the four soldiers tasked with killing me had already began their journey to Vesia, and I had already had my sights on the fourth. I didn't move in the shadows, though. Instead, I walked on both feet with a purpose. Once out of the barn and beneath the two moons, the purple glow coming from the eyes of the soldier gave me pause. His skin and other features remained unchanged, but his eyes glowed with a bright hue and his face appeared lost in thought. I pulled my dagger up to deliver the coup de grace when I stopped, noticing the young boy from earlier sitting behind him with the same purple hue in his eyes, though he was not lost in thought. He seemed to be in complete control. The young boy rose to his feet and smiled warmly. So you are quite resourceful, and your cunning is second to none, he stated confidently while keeping his purple eyes affixed on me. I am what I have to be, I replied softly. The state that I found myself in was not something that made me comfortable. Though I had seen some things that were not of Dunai, I never imagined I would be part of it. The glowing eyes from both my prey and the young boy were making me a bit uneasy, though I couldn't think of a way to get out of my current situation. I was always gifted at going unnoticed, but when my father sent me to live with my uncle, I learned how to be a survivor in the shadows. And that you are, replied the young boy as he stood up and stepped toward me. You are quite gifted when no one can see you coming, or they don't know you exist. The young boy folded his arms across his chest as a purple mist swirled around his ankles. The mist traveled up his shins to his knees and continued up to his hips. I watched the mist envelop the young boy, but when it dissipated, the driver from the carriage I saw a few years back stood before me. His eyes were still glowing purple, but everything else about him changed. Perhaps this look is a bit more to your liking, he asked as my eyes widened in shock. I gripped the daggers tightly in both of my hands as I stared at the man before me. His form changed drastically from a young boy to an older man, and now I was wondering who he actually was. What are you? I stammered in shock, struggling to form up my words as I tried to focus my attention on his purple eyes. The man laughed and held his hands out in a welcoming manner. Nathermetralis, I've been watching you for quite some time. Ever since I noticed you hiding in the shadows that day in Merdul, I knew you were special. Two god touch were right there and neither noticed you. One of my father's best lieutenants, Gervania, was none the wiser to your plight while my uncle, Ebelus, couldn't sniff you out. I tilted my head slightly at the words that were coming from off his tongue. Oh, right, he said before the mist overtook him again, this time revealing a man with almost the same age as I was, with pale skin, dark hair, a slender frame, and two large, black wings protruding from his back. Here, my guise is off, Nathair. You can see me for who I truly am, he informed me as he stepped out of the mist. The wind blew against his black wings, sliding the feathers just a bit as he stood prominently in front of me. The hue of his eyes was still as vibrant as before, and his appearance was much more foreboding. I had never been around someone with wings before. I only thought the harpies in the forest had those. If your father is the master of that god-touched woman, then that would make me his son, he finished. My name is Latros. Demigod and son of Malarus, the god of chaos, and Elise Mertrand, god touched Avesia. I had heard the stories of the son of Malarus, but I always believed it was hyperbole and lore. I never thought a god would ever decide to take up with a human, but I did know that Malarus was far different than the rest of the gods. He was compassionate and showed empathy to his followers, something that none of the other gods did. The story of Malarus and his love for humanity was one that warranted a warm hearth and a thick blanket. It was a comforting story to hear how a god could be much more than his contemporaries. He fell in love with a mortal woman and decided to share his life with her. With the assistance of Vesia, she allowed the two to form a bond with one another. 
she turned Elise Mertrand and her brother Evelis into God-touched servants. Bessia broke their bonds of mortality so that Elise could spend eternity with Malaris and Evelis could ensure that she was protected. I knew Evelis existed, as I had seen him a few days earlier, but I always believed the story to be a bit far-fetched. I was wrong. Nether, this evening has been remarkably eventful for you, no? Inquired Latros rhetorically. He placed his hand on my shoulder and pointed out in the distance toward my family's estate. Several fires were still burning in the hearths and the chandeliers in the windows flickered majestically. I think you may have some unfinished business to attend to. I shifted my eyes toward the ground and sighed. I most certainly do, I replied without looking up at the mansion. My father has a date with the scales. As does the rest of them, seethed Latros. Behind us, the soldier was starting to come to, shaking out of whatever trance Latros had him in. The winged demigod pulled a black-plated dagger with a purple hue around the blade from his waistband. Without hesitation, he drove it deep within the soldier's chest before he was fully coherent. That'll be enough out of you, he said before pulling the blade out and allowing the man to drop to the ground. Prepare a seat at the scales for the Matralis family. They will be joining you soon. Latros held onto the dagger and turned it around in his hand, offering it to me. I only have one to offer you, but I don't think you'll need more than this, he said as he presented the blade to me. I tossed my other daggers to the side at the sight of his blade. I reached forward and grabbed it to feel how perfect it was. The blade was light and the handle was weighted. I could swing it through the air almost as if I was swinging nothing, but the blade was sharp enough to pierce the air around it. Thank you, I said softly, but why are you helping me? Latros chuckled. Nathair, I've yet to help you. So far, you've done everything on your own. You would have easily cast this man aside just as I did. And even if I wouldn't have spoken to you ahead of time, you would have made your way out of that cage and be on your way to the mansion. I haven't helped you yet, but I'm prepared to offer you something if you wish. And what would that be? I asked, curious to the demigod's intentions. I want you to become powerful so that you can become my right hand, just as Lorien is my father's, stated Latros assertively. Lorien commands the armies of Lacarus. I don't have an army, nor do I need one, at least not yet. However, I do have my own ambitions and I need someone to assist me with them. That is where you come in. I scoffed at what he was proposing. So you'd want a servant? I want an assistant and a loyal one at that, continued Latros before turning toward the mansion. Why don't we talk about it a bit more after you're done? The night is not over for you, though I would like to see how you handle the priest. Xylene has always been quite formidable, and so are his followers. I wouldn't worry too much about Tigras. He'll fall just like the other three, I stated firmly with anger building within. A smile emerged from the corner of my mouth as I stared at the mansion ahead. Tonight, I become the master of the house. We would like to thank everyone for listening to this podcast. More content will be coming out on a regular basis. For more on By Gods and Kings, please visit www.bygodsandkings.com or www.scriptcrypt.com.